pray together. Father, thank you so much for this most remarkable story that we celebrate this time of year, reminding ourselves of the result of your great love and kindness was sending Jesus to be born of Mary, to be the Savior of the world. Father, what a remarkable Lord Jesus we have, this King of kings and Lord of lords with the forever kingdom. And this Christmas, would you encourage our hearts to worship in a way we've never done before. Take your word now and use it. Strengthen us, encourage us, uh, help it to even prepare our hearts for a wonderful week of just um, personal worship, uh, family, and corporate worship as well as we gather again later in the week to celebrate this remarkable event where you remembered us and uh, sent the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior. It's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. I thought that um, one week out of Christmas, it would be a good time for me to give her a little personal report to the congregation on how I'm doing with my uh, rehabilitation. Let's call it rehabilitation. I want you to know that I'm doing quite well. I have embraced Christmas and all that goes on with it. Um, I... I have been in some stores, and I, I, I haven't been too grouchy about it. That's a good step forward for me. I was in a store, and I heard a song going on about um, running over grandma or something, and I didn't throw anything or rip down any displays. Um, I haven't said out loud this year what I'd like to do with my 22 Magnum and those big blow-up Christmas ornaments. I've, I've actually looked and said, ooh, ooh. I'm just trying to get the feeling, you know? I'm just trying to engage and uh, just be a part of things. There's something that I've tried to do a little better of this year is help Janet know how to buy gifts for me. I thought, if I'm gonna be in the Christmas spirit, you know? Um, I ought to cooperate with this whole racket. And um, so I use my smartphone. Yes, I have a smartphone. I'm a very techie guy. And uh, I take pictures of things, you know, in, in the tool department. And in the, that's helpful for her. And things over in the gun department and the racquetball department. And I take pictures and I send them to her because... I got a few things I wouldn't mind getting for Christmas. How about you? What are you going to get for Christmas? And we kind of worry about that a little bit, right? You won't admit it. What are you going to get for Christmas? Well, this morning, I want to remind us that it's, it's not about what we're going to get for Christmas. It is about what we've already gotten for Christmas. And what a strange gift we've gotten. How many of you have ever received a lamb for Christmas? This morning, as we consider, once again, the names of our Lord Jesus, the name that is above all name, the name before whom every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Um, we have this strange name, not given at his birth, but proclaimed at his public, the threshold of his public ministry by John the Baptist. Before we go to John's gospel in chapter one, will you go to Matthew chapter one with me? And I want to show you how I connected the dots in my brain. Um, 
In Matthew chapter 1, we have the announcement to Joseph that we've already read a couple weeks ago and looked at um, when we looked at the name Jesus, Yahweh saves, Jehovah, the God who saves, Jesus. I just wanted to remind you in Matthew chapter 1 that as the angel came and announced to Joseph about this most remarkable concept, that is, that his betrothed wife Mary would become pregnant through an act of the Holy Spirit, that he was not to to worry about this, but that he was to embrace it. Uh, This is Matthew chapter 1. And in verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and here it is, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will... What? He will, what's the next word? He will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this did take place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he did exactly as the angel told him. He called his name Jesus. Yahweh saves Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What a remarkable concept Now, I was thinking about another name that was given to him by his cousin, six months older than he, John the Baptist, this wild, woolly, duck commander type guy dressed in sackcloth, burlap, living in the wilderness, at just the right time, compelled by the Holy Spirit, comes, he baptizes our Lord, and now we're in John's Gospel in chapter 1, and so will you turn there for what is actually noted as our text this morning, And in John chapter 1, 30 years after he was born, he receives another name. A name that is very important for us to understand because it helps us realize who it was that was in the manger. And we receive this special Lamb of God for Christmas. That's the name that John the Baptist gave him uh, in John chapter 1. It says in verse 29, where we begin and just jump in the middle of the context, uh, the next day. Well, John had baptized Jesus. We're going to see in this passage that he had had this marking or this affirmation of uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus. And he was to know that he was the Messiah through that. So John was not Jesus. John was the forerunner. He was the proclaimer. He was the one who was to come and come out of the wilderness, this striking image himself, a striking image of humility, by the way, just a wilderness guy, a guy who would catch attention as some odd prophet. And then when he speaks, he speaks in a most unusual way, And notice what he says. So the next day, verse 29, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yahweh saves Jesus 
for he will save his people from their sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Does that work in your brain? I read Matthew again this week and then I thought of John's announcement and I thought, let's go there. And let's do something this morning. Let's take this phrase of this public declaration of who Jesus was at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. John looks at him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And let's, let's understand it as his audience would have understood it there in Israel of old. And let's understand it as well with pictures from the Old Testament that would have been very vivid in the minds of the listeners. They would have understood the Old Testament context that brings nuance to the understanding of this New Testament given name. Let's read a little bit extra of this section. Behold, John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. He's more important than I am. Because he was before me, the idea, it's an inference at least to the eternality of Christ. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. That was his job, John the Baptist. He bore witness. He said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. That would have been the day before at his baptism. I saw the Spirit from heaven descend like a dove and it remained on him and I I myself did not know him but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me okay so God had sent him to baptize Jesus and mark him in that way publicly and he said to me he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit that's how you're going to know see John baptized a lot of people and he would know that This would be the Messiah, the one he baptized. And there was this obvious moving of the Holy Spirit upon him and would remain on him. And he said, and I have seen and I bore witness to this, that this is the son of God. It would be some months later in the darkness of the dungeon that John would want reaffirmation of this himself. Maybe emotionally, spiritually discouraged ready to have his head cut off, and he would call his disciples to him. John the Baptist had some disciples. He said, go go to the Christ and ask him, are you the Messiah or should we expect another? Just thinking everything through. Here he proclaims him clearly, doesn't he? He proclaims so clearly that he is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. It's interesting then that the next day, He, John, was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus and he walked as he walked by and he says it again. Behold, the Lamb of God. You know, I have to tell you, I'm a little disappointed in John's announcement. I think about it. This is it. This is the public display for the very first time of our Lord Jesus who was born in a manger. He's now going to launch three years of incredible, powerful works and preaching and declaring the words of of life and everlasting life. And John is the one who's called to announce and let everybody know that he's here. And what does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb. Don't you think he would have been able to say, the Lion of Judah is here. Right? How about, 
It's behold is getting everyone's attention. Behold. Hey, everyone, listen. Behold, I have an announcement. The great I am is here. How about behold, the king of kings and the Lord of lords is here. Isn't that better? Don't you like that better? Uh, he says, behold, the lamb of God. Well, you need to know that his listening audience would have immediately had poured into their mind a, a well of thoughts, stories, and imagery when they heard the Lamb that comes from God to take away sin. They were very familiar with lambs that were given for their sin. Let's take that phrase, shall we? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's take this name and this phrase and let's break it down and let's understand why a lamb. Why did John call him a lamb? And why is it special for us that it was a lamb that was born in a manger so many years ago? First of all, if you're looking at your notes, you need to know that the listening audience of the day would have certainly understood that a lamb was a picture of humility. The lamb was a picture of humility. And once again this week, even as we focus on the names of our Lord Jesus, we recognize that this is God humbling himself on a mission, on his ministry of salvation for unworthy people like us. And what would be more humble than a lamb? Behold, he says, the Lamb of God. Now the listeners would have thought, a Lamb that came from God. Behold the Lamb. Now we need to understand, and what we don't get, is how familiar in this culture, in this geographic time, in this historical context, and in, and in Israel at this time, how much they saw lambs and how, how often they had a lamb on a rope. How often they went to worship with a lamb. So we're going to look at the Old Testament on each of our points to illustrate the nuance of the New Testament name here. And let's go to just one verse, uh, two verses in, in one chapter, Exodus 29. I have these written. You can also find it in Numbers 28, but it's, it's really, it's laced throughout Levitical law and the Pentateuch. The reality of how the sacrificial system worked. You see, where we are today... We don't think about animals and sacrifices being necessary for the covering of our sin. And when John announced Jesus, the Lamb of God, what they would have thought of was how often they sacrificed lambs to produce blood flow, to produce the symbolic covering before a holy God that demanded that something die for the wages of sin is death, that something die and, and make atonement or a trade-off or pay the penalty for their sin. So here's how it worked. In, in Exodus chapter uh, 29, and looking just at verses thir 38 and 39, very similar verses in Numbers 28, 1 through 4, and then, as I said, all kinds of other passages. But this is an example that I picked out to show you how saturated their culture at this time was with lambs. 
And he's giving instruction about their worship. And he says, now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Okay, so they understood when they went to worship and they went to get forgiveness of sin, they were to take a lamb with them and go to the altar. They were to take two lambs, a year old. They were to be one-year-old lambs. And they were to do this day, look at the language. That's why I picked this out. Day by day, regularly. You got to have a lot of lambs. Day by day, regularly. One lamb, verse 39, you shall offer in the morning and other, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. I don't think that every family did this every day, but this was ingrained in them. There were other times of the year when they would offer seven lambs at one time, depending on what the feast was. And right above this, you can see that they were to offer a bull calf. People who couldn't afford that were allowed to use turtle doves. And, and they understood in this context that when there was a lamb that took away sin, it meant that the lamb's blood had to be shed. Now, when I was a youth pastor one time, I, I came so close to getting a lamb and killing it in front of my youth group. You see how you react? Ooh, Pastor Van. That was 25 years ago. And I would have gotten in so much trouble back then. You'd probably get put in jail today. I would have got trouble with parents back then. Pastor Van, what are you doing to our young people? And I always just could picture taking that little lamb and having everybody enjoy it and pet it and then grab it between the ears and take my killing knife and it would go, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> Pastor Van. Well, that's what lambs were for. That's what you did. And you understood that, that you did that so that that blood could flow in a representation that something died because you sinned. And so the first thing we see when we have John announce, behold, the Lamb of God. We recognize this lamb is a picture of humility because it's, it's just going to get its throat cut. And there it is to be a, a sacrifice. No roaring lion, no mighty stallion, no other imagery you can think of for this forever king, this champion of the universe, the one who spoke it all into existence. No, he is the lamb of God. Uh, number two, I want you to know that in their minds, they would have understood that this was not only a picture of humility, but it was a spiritual necessity to spill blood. It was a spiritual necessity. This was their understanding directly from God given in Levitical law that when something sinned, when someone sins, something has to die. And there is no forgiveness of sin apart from the shedding of blood. In Ezekiel, it says that the soul that sins shall surely die. And so when a lamb was killed and its blood flowed, you understood that that was a necessary thing so that you could have reprieve or release or that in the mind of God, there was something that came in and intercepted and interrupted and covered. It was a, a covering. 
It was symbolic. Listen, everything in the Old Testament on the shedding of blood has everything to do with pointing to John the Baptist's announcement that this is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. It was a foreshadowing of the Lamb who was born in a manger. Now, something that we also don't have embedded in our thinking are the kinds of stories from the history of Israel and from their Bible, the Old Testament, that the young people and the population that would have heard John proclaim, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they had their mind filled with with stories that were filled with the imagery of the importance of the shedding of blood of these animals. And in fact, some of these stories were their very favorite stories. One of them is in Exodus chapter 12. Will you turn there with me? Exodus chapter 12. This would have been a very familiar story uh, to to the audience that heard John proclaim that Jesus was the Lamb of God. It helps us today understand the importance of the blood being shed and the lamb being killed. This is the end of the ten plagues of Israel in Egypt. The ten plagues in Egypt that God brought on them because of their mistreatment of Israel. Now you recall that God raised up Moses. Israel has been living for over 400 years in captivity in Egypt, right? In Egypt for over 400 years in in captivity. They are slaves. And God raised up Moses to be a leader to take them out of Egypt. The Bible tells us that there's, there were 600,000 men. I, I don't know if that was old men and young men, but I take that to be men who could stand up strong. 600,000 men plus women and children. That's how many left Egypt. That had to be several million people with their families included. And so the Pharaoh of Egypt had worried that if their enemies came to attack them, that Israel, the Israelites were so strong inside of Egypt where they were enslaved and working for the Egyptians, that if, a, if an enemy came and attacked them and they had enemies, that Israel might rise up from within and they would be in trouble because by paying attention to the enemies who came to attack them, if the Israelites revolted and rebelled, that they might be able to overthrow Egypt. And so remember, they had become very oppressive, very oppressive, working them uh, just incredibly so and abusing them. And so God told Moses to go tell Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And so they did that. But Pharaoh said no. And so God sent these plagues. Remember all these different plagues, frogs, frogs in your bed, frogs in your bread, flies, blood, water turned to blood. Just incredible lice. It's just incredible. And then finally, this night comes. Pharaoh does not cooperate with God. He doesn't cooperate with Moses. He doesn't respect or fear God. And finally, God says to Moses, do this. Exodus chapter 12, verse 21. So Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select. There it is. Select what? Lambs for yourselves according to your clans. And do what? Kill the Passover lamb. You see the lamb embedded in their history, embedded in their stories. The lamb, get the lambs and kill the lamb 
and capture the blood in a bowl. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts of your home with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses or strike you. You shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. Did you see that? So something brand new is going to happen. Go get a lamb, kill it, catch the blood in a basin, take the hyssop, some um, weeds together, make a paintbrush and paint the doorpost of your house with the blood out of this basin. And from now on, when you get to the promised land, teach your sons to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to remember this. And he says, none of you, verse 22, none of you shall go out until morning. So they've been warned to stay in. So they do this to their doorposts. You will observe, verse 24, this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt and he struck the Egyptians but he spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And then the people of Israel went and did so. They obeyed the Lord. They did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And at midnight that night, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. I guess so. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. And then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night. Get, um, get Moses and Aaron here now. He summoned them and he says, up, go out from among my people, get out of my country, get out of my neighborhood, both you and the people of Israel, go serve the Lord. I don't care what you do, just get far away from me as you have said and take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and do bless me because I don't know what I'm going to do. You think about, it. I don't know how this unfolded exactly. They're sleeping. It's the middle of the night. And God sends his death angel. God sends a mighty, powerful servant from the spirit world of angels. And he moves through the neighborhoods. And all of the Israelites have the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. A lamb that was sacrificed to give them life. And preserve their lives. And he moves through the neighborhoods. And was there groaning? Was there gasping? Was there writhing? Something stirred people awake. Because lights began to come on across Egypt. And from Pharaoh's court to the deepest, darkest dungeon, the firstborn. And out in the barns and the sheds among the animals, the firstborn began to die. And a wail began to be heard across the countryside. And Pharaoh's, Pharaoh knows the source. 
Get Moses and Aaron in here and get these people out of here. What protected the Israelites? Listen, we're back in John chapter 1. But what do we understand? The listening audience of John the Baptist when he proclaimed the Lamb of God. God gives us this Passover Lamb to protect us and give us life. They would have understood that story. They would have probably had imagery like that in their minds. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, makes an, gives an interesting name to the Lord. He calls Him Christ, our Passover Lamb. Paul, writing to the Corinthian believers, 1 Corinthians 5, Christ, our Passover Lamb. That's the imagery. A lamb whose blood was shed so that my blood wouldn't have to be shed. Thirdly, I want you to see that they would have understood that this was their greatest opportunity. The Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's an important part of the phrase. This sin is taken away. The greatest opportunity that I have for release and relief from my sin is that the Lamb would take away my sin. Isn't that interesting? Now, you think your two front teeth would make a pretty good Christmas gift? I'm telling you that a Lamb that can take away sin is the got to be the ultimate gift. So the Lamb of God who takes away. And so this would have been, and let's just imagine in his listening audience, John's audience, another story from the Old Testament that might illustrate this. I mean, this has to be one of the favorite stories of boys and girls and even the adults in Israel of old at this time. I can hear, Papa, tell me a story. Papa, tell me the story about Father Abraham when he was going to offer Isaac on Mount Moriah. Tell me that story. I told you that story last week. I know, but I love that story. I want to hear it again. And Papa would tell it again. And you recall, right? Genesis 22. We don't have to turn there. But this might be what was in their minds. So they, Abraham is told by God that he wants him to offer his son as a sacrifice. Go up to Mount Moriah and worship. Genesis 22. The New Testament in Hebrews 11 and in Romans 4 and 5 tells us that Abraham understood the promise of God, that the promise and covenant of God with him was that through his son Isaac, a great nation would be formed. A great and powerful nation would be formed through Isaac and that Abraham believed that promise of God to the extent that he was willing to kill him as God directed him to use him as a sacrifice. He was willing to literally slaughter him with the killing knife and burn him as a burnt offering before the Lord and that he believed that God would raise him back from the dead if he killed him. Because he would keep his promise and God had to keep his promise. God can't make a promise and not keep it. And it says that it was then counted, counted unto him for righteousness. That faith believing. Isn't that a remarkable thing? Most remarkable. And so he does that. And remember, he takes Isaac. He binds him up with ropes. He puts him up on the, up on the altar. He has wood that he's going to burn underneath him. And Abraham, Father Abraham, has his killing knife. And he's ready to do what? He's ready to shed the blood of his own son as though he were the sacrifice. And the, 
God stops Abraham. Abraham, I believe that you would really do this. You've passed the test. Now look over there, and there's a, a ram, not really a lamb, but a ram caught by its horns in the brush and briars. And remember what Abraham called that place then? This is the place where God has provided for me. Yahweh, Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord is my provider. God has provided. And what is it that he provided? He provided, here's the word, a substitute for my son. He provided a substitute so that Isaac didn't have to die. The lamb or ram could be placed on the altar. The killing knife brought down on it, its bloodshed. And the lamb, the ram, becomes the sacrifice that's substituted in so that Isaac could live. I think these images must have flashed through their minds as John the crier bellered out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, that's the imagery that Isaiah used, isn't it? Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us. We've gone our own way. But the Lord has laid on Him, who? Jesus, the Lamb, the substitute Lamb. Jesus has laid on Him the iniquities of all of us. We don't have to die for our own sin. The Lamb will die for us. It's most remarkable. Peter captured this, didn't he? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He's, Peter's reminding his, his audience that we were ransomed. We were ransomed not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Isn't that interesting? The precious blood of Christ is like the blood of a lamb. What did the lamb do? The lamb paid the price for the sin of the individual, the family. What does Christ the lamb do? He substitutes in and he pays the price with shedding the shedding of his blood. Well, the second number three on your notes is really a number four. Do you have that in your notes too? I think you do. Uh, the second number three is a number four. And it reminds us this lamb does. The lamb reminds us of the problem with iniquity. Listen, here's the phrase. The lamb of God who takes away the sin. Sin is iniquity. It's, it's violating God's standards. And sin always brings death. And so... In the, listening, in the listener's mind, when he heard about the lamb that takes away sin, he knew that there was death because the wages of sin is always death. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And here's another typo. Without, not with, without. I, I did my own notes, can you tell? And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And without... Make sure you put the out on the end of with. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. See, we have a problem. We're sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. And sin demands death. And, and apart from the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So you can indeed 
pay the price for your own sin. That would be shedding your own blood. But for Christmas, you got a lamb. You got a Passover lamb for Christmas. You got a lamb that was a substitute lamb. You got a lamb from God, the lamb of God given to you so that you can be set free from your sin. And the lamb will take it all. Is that most remarkable? Finally, this lamb is, isn't it the hope of all humanity? The hope of all humanity. What does it say? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin. What's the next word? Of the world. The world. It's for all people everywhere, this message, isn't it? And this, Christ, this Christmas, we need to be really careful, don't we? Because I'm serious. I took pictures and sent them to Janet of what I want for Christmas. Why not? Let's cash in on this corrupt system here that we're celebrating. It's the flesh. But don't you think there's something wrong with being more excited about a racquetball racket for Christmas than getting a lamb that we already got. You know, a number of years ago, among Christian leaders, there was a popular book that went around. It was uh, titled something like Ordering Your Private World. Ordering Your Private World. It was really a pretty good book. The author crashed and burned after that. His private world wasn't very ordered. But it was a good book. In that book about ordering your private world... He used the imagery of, of the hustle and bustle of our world, and he, he used a word picture of going down into a submarine that was in active duty down underneath the ocean. And if you walk through the submarine, people were at their duty stations and, and shouting out commands, and there was hustle and bustle, and people were moving and squishing through corridors. And, and then you go down into the heart of the submarine, and you would come to the command center. And if you open the hatch and stepped into the command center, you could just hear the throb of the motors and it was quiet in there and the colored lights of the instruments of their panels. And there was the captain and all around him in the ship, people were hustling and bustling and doing their jobs. But the skipper is down in the command center and no one's distracting him and it's quiet and he's taking in the information and there in the command center, it was quiet and calm. The challenge was that in the command center of our lives, we need to be able to create a calm and a quiet. This Christmas, as the world hustles and they are hustling you, you know that, right? And, and, the, and it's just going crazy. What's the command center of your life like? Deep down in the control room of your life, is it peaceful and calm? And there, you can worship the Lamb. The Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And what a wonderful reality in Christ. So what the world needs today, more than any other thing, the world needs to see the Lamb. 
The lamb that would be slain once and for all. And ultimately, it was a final sacrifice. Remember back in Exodus where we started killing a lamb every morning, killing a lamb every night, blah, 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 blah. It never ends. But this lamb was a once for all lamb. And once for all, he substituted in and he shed his blood that you and I can humble our hearts and receive this forgiveness of our sin. We don't deserve it. That's what grace is. And God gives us this gift at Christmas. And John didn't yell out, here's the forever king. He yelled out, behold, the lamb of God takes away the sin. Will you worship the lamb this Christmas? Do you know this lamb? Oh, he's going to turn into a lion. The end of the story is awesome. This lamb has a sword that can come out of its mouth. And destroy all of the wicked kingdoms of the world. It's totally cool. It's much better than Star Wars. <laughs> this forever king of the forever kingdom, this master of the universe, is given to us one Christmas in a manger as a lamb. Praise God. Will you stand and let's close in prayer. Father, would you help us humble our hearts before you? Would you help us get control of the command center of our lives? Where there our priorities are straight. Jesus Christ is high and lifted up there. Where we see him as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Our Passover lamb, our substitutionary lamb, our final, ultimate, one-time sacrifice lamb, our lamb who gave his blood to be put on the doorposts of our hearts so that the death angel would pass over and give us everlasting life. Father, if there are those here today who don't understand that, would you help them to humble their hearts and accept you as their Savior from their sin? And this Christmas, may we worship as never before this wonderful forever King who came as a gift of a lamb. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things with thanksgiving. Amen.